0: This program is made possible in part by a grant from the Pulitzer Prize Centennial Campfires Initiative for collaboration between UPR, Utah Humanities, the Salt Lake Tribune, and KCPW. Campfires is a joint venture of the Pulitzer Prize Board and the Federation of State Humanities Council in celebration of the 2016 Centennial of the Prizes. The centennial seeks to illuminate the impact of journalism and the humanities of American life today to imagine their future, and to inspire new generations to consider the values represented by the body of the Pulitzer Prize-winning work. The Campfire's initiative is also supported by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation, the Ford Foundation, Carnegie Corporation of New York, the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Pulitzer Prize Board, and Columbia University.
1: Welcome to Access, Utah. I'm Tom Williams. From Epicurus to Sam Cooke, the Daily News to Roots, Gregory Pardlow's collection Digest draws from the present and the past to form an intellectual American identity. Poems that forge their own styles and strategies. In those poems, we experience dialogues between the written word and other art forms. Within this dialogue, we hear Ben Johnson. We meet police canines. We find children negotiating a sense of the world through a father's eyes and through their own Gregory Pardlow's collection, Digest, out from Four Way Books, won the 2015 Pulitzer Prize for Poetry. It's was also shortlisted for the 2015 NAACP Image Award. He was a finalist for the Hurston Wright Legacy Award. And his other honors include fellowships from National Endowment for the Arts and the New York Foundation of the Arts. His first collection, Totem, was selected by Brenda Hillman for the APR Honickman Prize in 2007. He's also the author of Air Traffic. It's a memoir of essays forthcoming from Knopf and he joins the faculty of the MFA Program in Creative Writing at Rutgers University Camden uh, this semester. Uh, Gregory Pardlow lives with his family in Brooklyn. Gregory Pardlow, a uh, pleasure to welcome you to Access Utah. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Tom. It's great to be here with you.
1: Uh, so you, uh, you're you joining that creative uh, writing program Rutgers University Camden. I think that's your alma mater uh, this semester.
2: It is. It's a little weird. Mm. Uh, I actually had my first class last night and got to walk around the campus. Very, very strange feeling being... Uh, Faculty member
1: now. <laughs> it's it's a few years, but I can imagine that it would be a little surreal. Uh, I guess the first class went well.
2: Yeah, no, it went, of course it went great. I I love teaching. Um, yeah, but it was a just a I guess it was more of a romantic feeling, yeah, a little surreal, walking around, remembering the campus as uh, as it was when I was there, and and all my aspirations at the time, and you know just kind of connecting then and now and Being very conscious of the the (laughs) the drastic differences, changes in my life over the years.
1: Mm. You've uh, got an interesting biography. You've worked in a restaurant in Denmark. You've uh, been in the Marine Reserve. You help uh, run a jazz club. Um, I want to start here with the with the Pulitzer. You've talked. I've read. You've talked about the Pulitzer. Uh, Of course, uh, receiving the Pulitzer in twenty fifteen, life changing. I imagine one one effect uh, boosts sales for Digest, did it?
2: Yeah, that's an understatement. It um the, I spoke to my publisher uh, almost immediately and she said the first call she made was not to congratulate me but was to the printer to, to, to print more more copies of the book. So yeah, it was a, a dramatic and and kind of swift uh impact on the book sales. It gives
1: you a platform as well, right? And you've you've set a platform to perhaps promote other poets and and writers who uh who have you promoted who do you want to promote
2: Yeah no absolutely um uh, so you know as a as a poet and I think this is largely the case throughout the poetry community with uh the book sales you know it's not something that uh, poets often look forward to uh so it the, the biggest boon to to me personally is the the ability to uh, to have people listen to me you know, to get the opportunities like like this to be on your show and to, to talk about um to mention younger younger poets and and mostly really the the opportunity to to um kind of shift the needle a little bit in terms of the the ways that we think about uh American poetry what American poetry is supposed to do who, who an American poet is supposed to be um you know, there. I, I, there were, I wish I had um, more people to uh, kind of imagine my future. You know, sort of fit into the, a, a model. That's the word I'm looking for to model my my uh, path, career path. After when I was uh, coming up as a as a poet, um, and so I like to kind of try on some some different hats, critic, mm. teacher, uh, public persona.
1: <laughs> mm. right. You, uh, I was <laughs> spun to read in an interview, uh, you were up for a, a, another prize. Um, you came back to the hotel, and your daughters asked you if you'd won the prize. They were happy you had not won the prize.
2: Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's um, the, the downside is, you know, I, I often say um, it was kind of like a, I felt like a, a studio musician for many years. You know, I was kind of quietly doing my work, and then suddenly, uh, I'm I'm out in on the, the middle of the stage. That required me. That resulted in me doing a lot of traveling, and uh, my there was the book was being considered for another prize shortly after the the not shortly, but a, several months after the Pulitzer, and I mentioned it over dinner, and my daughters were worth happy that I, it did not win, and so I asked, you know, why, and uh, my youngest, who's, uh, who's eight, um, said, well, Dad, I remember before the prize, <laughs> you know, just even in that tone, <laughs> it was heartbreaking, we spent much more time, you were at home for dinner more, and, mm. you know, so there's a... Uh, you know, it 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 does wonders for for my um my ambitions and in, in, uh sort of being a, a change agent in the world mm. um but yeah it's a tough balance to to also attend to the, the things that i obviously care about the most mm. you know my family
1: yeah, ch- children will keep you grounded. That's that's yeah. one, of the, one of the one of the nice things. Um, and, and you have you have said that uh, the, the poems in this book the collection digest reflect your anxiety around being father of uh, young children.
2: Yeah, yeah. So when I started the book, uh, I the girls were I have two daughters. Uh, they were very young. Um, the youngest was an infant, and and so I was still kind of and I mean who. Who does really I haven't met anybody who's you know, sort of confident about parenting um, but I was very conscious of the fact that I was very critical of my father growing up and you know as many boys have uh, uh, conflicting relationships and uh, uh, you know difficult relationships with with fathers especially uh, domineering fathers uh, I knew I didn't want to be that, and I, I find myself speaking a lot about models and, and role models. Uh, but my father served as an anti-role model, and and you know what? What do you have when um, when you're modeling yourself in the negative? You know, so that it was a space of anxiety, a space of. of um, Wonder and immense responsibility, and, and 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 as I say, anxiety. So it was the perfect; these were the perfect conditions for writing poems. Mm. Ironically enough, um, yeah. And so I I just tried to funnel that inner energy into my, my creative process.
1: So your father was kind of an anti-model, I, I, and I think a lot of us, maybe most of us. Uh, I mean, you, you have your personal experience, but uh, we're. We swear we're going to correct the mistakes we perceive in our parents.
2: <laughs> and what do we end up doing? And what do we end
1: up doing? Yeah, yeah. Um, I wonder if we could j- jump in, um, have you read uh, uh, a poem. I wonder if you could read uh, Problemata. I don't know if you have that's <laughs> how you're pronouncing it. Page, starting at page six, this is in three or four uh, different, I don't know if you call them sections, but kind of divisions.
2: Yeah. Um, oh, the first one's uh, Governor Morris
1: yeah
2: that one yeah so this this is a series of of poems um, that are kind of the through line what I'm loosely thinking about is the the Abraham and Isaac story and uh, and precisely the ways that um, the domestic life is uh, sort of uh, important in terms of how we think about our political lives our lives outside the home and uh, And who has one of my questions? Regarding my regarding parenting that is is How far does my uh, or how far do I want that is to extend my authority? You know, so do I follow my kids around uh, will I continue to follow, follow my kids around, you know, through their daily lives, and and it got me thinking about uh, the ways uh, the ways we father uh, in politics for good and ill.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's um, an interesting connection. I wonder if I have you to read, you know, all, uh, each, each of those four poems that that uh, comprise
2: Problemata. Okay. Problemata. In the preamble. Governor Morris refers poetically to the domestic tranquility shattered by rebelling veterans who, unable to pay mounting war taxes, confronted the state for having seized their homes. They argued their point with bayonets fixed to their flintlock rifles, point being that blood should have been enough, as it was in their barter economy, to square their debt in the revolution. Mars could not abide an economy that imagined exchange in such discreet terms. For him, every shilling appraised on an altar of speculative devotions, every home subject to the metaphoric notion of home, the value of tranquility proportionate to the power one has to gerrymander the metaphor. Consider the dear evangelists who canvass our homes Saturday mornings, who share their pamphlets and good words, their domestic concerns swelling with their longing for the fellowship of us. Spinoza gives us this reason not to opt off of their call lists. The good which a man desires for himself and loves, he will love more constantly if he sees that others love it also. He will therefore endeavor that others should love it also. Be tolerant of their attention, their pursuit of agape, a planet-sized chip they bear on their shoulders from house to house, door to door, welcome or not, blessing whatever they find inside. I finally friended my brother. It may be we will never speak again. Why speak when we have this crystal ball through which to judge one another's lives? I imagine this is what the afterlife will be like. I'm ghost, we say, instead of goodbye. It is nearly July in Brooklyn, and already the fireworks from Chinatown warehouses are bursting in stellar fluorescence like tinsel-tied dreadlocks above the bushwick tenements and the brownstone blocks of bed now littered with the skittering décollage of wrappers, exploded across blacktops and handball courts, playgrounds and sidewalks knuckled by tree roots. My neighbor's teenaged boys argue who possesses the greatest patriotism. Just as pit bulls, chained to their fists, imply their roughly domesticated manhood, they seek to demonstrate their patriotism with bottle rockets, spinners, petards, these household paraphernalia of war. The competition is vigorous, draws spectators and blood. When the smoke clears, no charges are filed. We neighbors waver distractedly a moment before tracing our paths back into our quiet homes.
1: It's Gregory Pardlow. That's from his collection Digest, and uh, that is problematic. Problemata, um, yeah. uh, consisting of uh, four poems. There, that last one, uh, July in Brooklyn, that uh, the fireworks, um, and it's it, it's a tradition, of course, and uh, I think all of us can relate to that. The, this uh, kind of the sense of of danger, this the sense of uh, dangerous demonstration that we've incorporated into our into our you know domestic uh, traditions.
2: Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, and that. It didn't occur to me, really, and this is often the case in writing the poems, that, that that sense of bringing danger into the home, into the domestic life, didn't occur to me until I started writing the poem. You know, so it kind of begins with this this itch of of curiosity, this um, interest in just the the sense of fear, you know, the burgeoning sense of fear, and as you. As your listeners have heard, I live in in Brooklyn in in, uh, a neighborhood called Bedford-Stuyvesant, which is a historically black neighborhood. And as with many urban areas around the country, it's rapidly gentrifying. Uh, And so we moved in, my wife and I are part of the gentrifying wave, uh, admittedly. And we moved in at a time when there were many changes in the Neighborhood were perhaps um, most stark socially. I mean, so we're always aware of it physically and, and geographically. We can look around and see the signs, but you could you could feel it very distinctly in the social interactions around. And so it was this interesting balance, this curious balance of anxiety in the home with being a new father, being new parents, and then this anxiety outside the home with you know, not quite fitting into the social fabric as it had been, uh, and and see, and yet sharing this tradition of uh, you know the Fourth of July and, and these these uh, suddenly strange ways of expressing our patriotism or patriotic zeal became very uh, became very aware of the oddness of that now suddenly. Mm-hmm.
1: I want to have you a, a, a feel a connection, see a connection to it, uh, and it's <laughs> it's an extraordinary poem, extraordinary idea. Uh, I'm talking about black pampers, ah. um, which um, which is on page fifty-eight. I'll have you read that next? But I I want to go back one poem. Um, I wonder if this this is always dangerous to ask a, a writer, a poet. I finally friended my brother. Is that that mm. is that autobiographical?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, um, and. Uh we laugh about it i mean i the poems come out of um, an emotional truth and, uh, and I think at the time that I wrote the poem, um, I was reflecting on the fact that it had taken very long a very long time for me to friend my brother on, on, on facebook and and of course, that implies he that he didn't and, uh friend me either uh and it very quickly, so I was kind of musing on how strange it was um, when we have these this electronic connection, this electronic you know, um, social medium that creates these false connections between so many people, and here you know my sibling. <laughs> And I refused to engage in this and and so what is well, just what is that about mm-hmm. and so when I finally did, it was all the more sad it saddened me all the more because um now we had an excuse for not talking, you know it wasn't <laughs> right, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. there was no there was no um sort of ever present guilt or anxiety or or uh, you know, there's an, uh, a different kind of feeling of of, of presence,
1: man. Yeah, the, the line. It maybe we'll never speak again. You know that we've friend right. each other. Uh, um, and then why why speak when we have this crystal ball through which to judge one another's lives? Right. That that right. I think that resonates with a lot of people. A lot of I think a lot of people are are judging out
2: there. You yeah, know? yeah, uh, and it's kind of set up for that, right? I mean, it, I have the, I often have the feeling that. Um, well Facebook for example we are these are staging areas these are these are areas for our our most sanitized performances of um, of our per- public personalities and you know it's we put them we, we put these personalities we put these characters on the page to be scrutinized and and uh, you know it, I think it only makes sense that we want to be praised, we want to be liked. You know, both in, in the electronic sense and in the uh, sort of human sense. Um, but at, at the same time, we're we're putting our making ourselves vulnerable to um, to criticism, to negative criticism. And you know, one of the one of the things that my brother and I uh, don't share is well he's ten years younger than I am, and it I always felt like he grew up in a different family you know with different parents and so his um his taste let's say is very different from mine and there and you know so the at the root of it is this uh, sibling rivalry the you know this sort of family aggressions uh but they get expressed in ever more sophisticated ways as the years go on and we get older and uh and so i I have, can look at his Facebook feed and and think, Oh, look how he's decorating that living room. Oh that is awful. <laughs> <laughs> but I know, I know, you know, way in the back of my head it's you know it's because you know, mom brought him home from the mm. from the hospital that fateful day and, and <laughs> stole my attention.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that you'll never never forgive, right? That's, well, no, exactly. <laughs> that's, uh that's that's how it is. <laughs> um uh I'm thinking about the ways in which, I mean, you talked about this just briefly there, uh, the ways in which social media, our Internet-connected world, it does connect us but also distances us yeah. as well. And I want to compare and contrast that with what you view as the purpose of, of, of poetry. Is poetry. Do you view yeah. poetry as connecting us, making us more? Is it an intimate act? Is that opposed sure. to, you know, the, the social media?
2: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, so social media deals in in surface, in um, um, surfaces. Period. And, and even so, I, I've kind of moved away from um, Facebook and and uh, for various reasons. But I, I I've been gravitating toward Twitter only because. There's something a, a little more intimate about composing um, composing a statement to be shared, right? As opposed to um, presenting myself to be looked at, and at the, the poem in all writing, uh, but I think poem poetry most uh, primally is a state of utter vulnerability, utter um, sort of emotional and psychic vulnerability. I am, I am putting myself on the page. So just as we, we put our lives on Facebook, for example, to be scrutinized, uh, I am putting my emotional life, my emotional truth, my inner life on the page to be scrutinized, but with the confidence that um, that the reader is coming to the page with in, with goodwill, mm. right? And so that's a the poem assumes a assumes a kind of and I, and I think rightfully so assumes a kind of utopian uh, um, image where the the, the forms of violence that are possible in, uh, across the, the relationship between the poet, you know, through the poem to the reader, you know, I, I'm hard-pressed to think of, of any kind of violence that can be smuggled into that relationship, right? It is, it it is. an intimate relationship, and it is an inherently peaceful relationship, because the poem the reader can't even access the poem without making herself equally vulnerable right and so yeah. when this, these two yeah, that's a good point when these two figures meet over the poem you know it, I can't come I can't even say I don't like this poem until and, and after I have made myself I've owed myself to the poem mm mm-hmm. mhm right and so um there's a yeah there's an, an inherently intimate uh the, the poem demands a, a, an intimacy that i i don't think we have many opportunities to explore elsewhere in our public lives
1: i wonder um if you worry as a writer about uh, and, and putting poems out on a, on a medium like Twitter, if you worry about impermanence, I, I'm thinking about uh, the the historian H. W. Brands, uh, who is currently engaged in uh, in tweeting a haiku history of, of America, um, which is you know which is wonderful, but I kind of wonder. <laughs> Uh, I've, I've interviewed him i didn't ask him that particular question whether he wonders uh, you know about that the impermanence of that it's it's tweeted some people will catch it in the stream or, m- or maybe they're following you and uh and then it seems like it's gone
2: yeah well i don't, um I think there is a burgeoning genre i'll call it for for the time being uh of People writing in, in however many character the hundred forty or whatever it is characters that that Twitter allows, uh, and I think the more people do it, the more um, uh, established, the more legitimate it, it becomes. I'm not ta- you know technology has always been uh, an influence on writing, uh, you know the the. Radio had, you know, dramatic uh, impact on literature, television, certainly, and so there's there's always going to be some new technological um, counterpart to the the printed page. But I'm a I'm a I'm a page guy, you know. Mm-hmm. I I'm I'm a pen and paper. I I, I love the the fundamental materials and. You know, I, I understand you're reading, digest my book on uh, in its electronic copy, mm-hmm. yeah. right? So the it's it's out there. It's going to the book is going the work is going to be translated into the the ether uh, in one way or another. So I don't get really wrapped up in in or or anxious about the uh, the role of technology after the fact,
1: yeah. We're talking with uh, Gregory Pardlow. He is author most recently of the collection Digest. We're hearing poems, and uh, and we're talking with uh, Gregory Pardlow uh, on the program, and uh, Digest is the 2015 winner of the Pulitzer Prize for uh, Poetry. Let's take a break. When we come back, I'll have you uh, read uh, Black Pampers and uh, some other poems. Continue this conversation. You're welcome to join it at 1-800-826-1495. 1-800-826-1495. Or upraxcess at gmail.com. upraxcess at gmail.com. I'll also ask you, uh, Gregory Pardlo, about your time in uh, Copenhagen. And and you've translated a a, oh, yeah. a, a book from from mm-hmm. Danish in, into English. Uh, very interesting uh I'll ask you to compare and contrast the, the, the art of translation to, to writing your own uh, poetry. More follows this break.
0: Remarkable Women is made possible with support from the Center for Women and Gender at Utah State University.
1: Tremendous amounts of talent are lost to our society just because that talent wears a skirt. Shirley Chisholm.
0: Chisholm was the first African-American woman elected to Congress and the first majority party black candidate for U.S. President. She advocated for minorities, women, and children. She changed public perception of the capabilities of women and African-Americans. Remarkable Women is made possible with support from the Center for Women and Gender at Utah State University, providing students another perspective of current societal issues. Information at womenandgender.usu.edu. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members. And the Nora Eccles Harrison Museum of Fine Art, presenting Lighting the Fire, Ceramics Education in the American West. Opening reception Thursday, September 8th, 7 to 9 p.m., with guest curator Matthew Lim. Details at artmuseum.usu.edu. This program is made possible by a grant from the Pulitzer Prize Centennial Campfires Initiative for collaboration between UPR, Utah Humanities, the Salt Lake Tribune, and KCPW.
1: Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, and I'm um, talking with poet Gregory Pardlow. His uh, latest volume, called Digest, uh, won the 2015 Pulitzer Prize for uh, Poetry. Um, he has a memoir uh, that's uh, coming out uh, shortly called Air Traffic, uh, coming out from Knopf. Uh, he has joined the faculty of the MFA program in Creative Writing at his alma mater, Rutgers University, uh, Camden. He's also taught, I believe, at uh, Columbia and he lives with his family in Brooklyn. You're welcome to join the conversation here by email to upraccess@gmail.com and by a toll-free phone, 1-800-826-1495. Uh, so, Gregory Pardlow, uh, you, you mentioned you live in Bedford-Stuyvesant. Stuy- called correct. I guess commonly known as Bed-Stuy. Um, kind of upwardly mobile? There's, a, there's that vibe, I guess, or aspiration? Yeah, yeah. So,
2: yeah. Um, yeah, I, I often say we we bought our house in 2005, and right at the well, very, very as the, the market was reaching its peak before the the crash. Uh, so it was a, a point, a moment when banks were you know giving away mortgages along with the the lollipops, and uh, there was absolutely no earthly reason why we should have gotten a mortgage at the time but you know we did and we were we were uh, managed to be some of the few people who uh held on through the um, through the market crash. And so I've seen this neighborhood um, change dramatically um and it's it's interesting because it I have this in my family there's this narrative of home ownership, you know, each generation has to, has bought a house and mm-hmm. and um you know, we go back to Grandma and Grandpa's house for holidays. You you go back to you know, you drive by Great Grandpa's house where you know all the stories you to hear all the stories. And so, it was kind of imperative for uh, my wife and I to to buy a house and you know, just as luck would have it, where we've weathered a couple of storms and, and managed to find ourselves in a, a very fortunate uh, circumstance.
1: So could I have you uh, read uh, Black Pampers? Uh, this is page 58. Um, setting this up, this is, uh, it's a wonderful idea. Um, it, it's written in the form of a, of a book description. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to tell you, and you're probably not the first one, I, I went looking for this book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh because i, I just seems so to the, the title of the book is black pampers raising consciousness in the post-nationalistic home uh so i did a couple of google searches and I, you know couldn't find the uh, i was disappointed i couldn't find the book
2: right yeah no it was a... I, I felt horrible that i was playing a cruel joke on on people i uh so i i met uh a guy who told me he wrote uh, descriptions of catalog descriptions for rare books and i I thought, wow, that's got to be, because I'm interested in this idea of forms and of received forms. I mean, so the the sonnet is uh, more than uh, a form. It is a set of conventions, and we recognize those conventions, and you know, we play by those rules. And, and so what are the, it occurs to me that that a catalog description has some very rigid conventions, and I, I was interested in, in sort of exploring that. But then it occurred to me that I needed a book to fit those conventions. And you know, rather than, it was no fun to to go out and find a book that would fit those conventions. It would be more fun to come up and in, uh, invent a book that would do that. And so, and I, I, I tell uh, audiences this at. at my readings, I started thinking about, well, what kind of content would be need would be necessary for this poem. It would have to be something a little outdated, um, almost obsolete, but you want to keep it around a little more. You have some emotional connection to it. It has some uh, emotional value, uh, but it's not terribly useful. And it occurred to me that I was describing my parents in no way. <laughs> and I, so, uh, my my father since passed, but I I used to tell I, when I told him that joke, he absolutely loved it. So uh, so I had permission to to share it. Um, yeah, and my parents were, were always have always been really great sports about um, my ribbing. And and it's it's sort of you know I, so I I grew up in the shadow of the civil rights movement and my my parents were these upwardly mobile blacks who moved out of the city to the suburbs and I, I, it's funny I sound like I'm you know telling my own story here in in a way is just in reverse because I'm my wife and I moved back to the city but anyway uh, so they. You know, I had the house in the suburbs with the fence and the in-ground pool, and uh, and I would I would always tease my mother particularly because um, and for many good reasons she would warn me about the the dangers of racism. You know that they had created this very safe home for me in this very safe environment in this kind of uh, cloistered uh, and protected environment and so there's a, um, a kind of ambivalence that you know I will I will have been declawed to some extent to such an extent that that when I, I leave the home and go out into the world I will have no way of defending myself against the the, the realities that are, that are out there and so I, resp- I have a lot of respect for, obviously, for um, you know the work my my parents' generation did, and in a in a way, in a, in a lot of ways, the protection of the home that they provided for me. I don't know. Perhaps it made me not just naive enough to not see. <laughs> The, the kinds of microaggressions and uh, or, or to ignore or blow off uh, the 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 kinds of daily um, expressions of of racism that um, that they my parents were all too not too um, were were altogether sensitive to. So hmm. all that to say that I have been thinking about the um, relationship between humor and uh, and the, the, the pain of this very American story. Right? And, and so this poem comes out of that. 837, Wilson, Shirley Ann Mfumi, Black Pampers, Raising Consciousness in the Post-Nationalist Home, Black Talk Press, Lawnside, New Jersey, 1976, 442 pages, illustrator unknown, 10 ten and a half by eleven and seven eighths inches. Want tips for nursery decor? Masks and hieroglyphics. Aquaba dolls. Send Raggedy Ann to the trash heap. This tome is a how-to for upwardly mobile black parents beset with the guilt of assimilation. Revealed here are the safety pinnings of the nascent black middle class, their leafy, split-level cribs and infants with Sherman-Hemsley hairlines. (laughs) Of interest are bedtime polemics on the racist derivations of the wheels on the bus. Chapter headings address important questions of the day. How and how soon should you intervene if you suspect your child lacks rhythm? At what age should you begin initiating your little one to the historical memory of slavery? And how ethical is the two-cake solution? One party for classmates and a second so you can invite the cousins. Indispensable to collectors for whom Aesop's African origin is no matter of debate will be the gloss and annotation comprising the bulk of the text of the lyrics to Stevie Wonder's Black Man. According to the jacket copy, one of the alternate titles considered was What to Expect When You're No Longer Expecting Revolution. Usual Occasional Scattered Light Foxing to Interiors, Contemporary Tree Calf Exceptional, About Fine Condition, $75. <laughs> this,
1: uh, <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, I, it, uh, I, I don't know, as I was reading this, responding to it, a I, I, small microcosm, I suppose, of of uh, some issues of of race because I I was laughing I was enjoying right. it but I was wondering should I
2: be exactly. laughing and should and you I know you know it's fascinating uh, to read the read that poem around the country because yeah this is you know it's at a and I this wasn't planned by on my part by any means you know I'm just being in the historical moment that I am. But I, I realize that we that this historical moment is one in which, um, you know, we're, we're is it too soon to to, to laugh? Yeah, yeah. Is it stars, too soon? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Racism, and and mm-hmm. so we're just now sort of coming out of the you know out of the the bunkers and, and blinking into the sunlight you know to to smell the fresh air and and uh, and so I, you know, I read this, this poem. And it's almost a generational divide, right? Right. Where, you know, half the audience uh, feels very nervous and and awkward, and uh, another half of the audience uh, is thinks it's hilarious. So, you know, it's, it's
1: interesting. Uh, how and how soon should you intervene if you suspect your child lacks rhythm? Uh, that's a particularly uh, good good line. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd rip from the headlines. Donald Trump visits a black church in Detroit. And the, the, the late-night comics, what they're laughing about is his, his you know, really bad rhythmic swaying. You know, <laughs> and, and maybe that's—they yeah. also, you know, talk about other aspects of it, but but it, in a way it's kind of— Avoiding the elephant in the room, you're you're using one one aspect of the,
2: of the experience. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So how do we talk about the elephant in the room, right? When when um, you know it's a, it's, a, it's an electrified elephant in the room. You know, so as soon as you you point it out, everyone gets uh, gets shocked, and and so I, I wanted a way to this thing is here, and, and we all deal with it, and you know the conversation is not going to progress any unless you know we can you know, sort of um, recognize it as a shared experience. Mm. Right? And one, of the, yeah. uh, one of the best ways of of bringing people together of diffusing tense situations is, is humor.
1: Uh, I wonder um there's a certain pressure isn't there I, I I'll just ask you um sure. if you're black and a writer mm-hmm. is there uh, pressure to be a black writer put the two to words to to, right. uh, to represent yeah
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah there of course there is i mean it is the same as there's a pressure to represent any uh sort of um marginalized identity group Uh, And rightfully so, because people want to see themselves represented here. Here, so and so has an opportunity to, um, you know, to speak on behalf uh, on our behalf. And you know, there may be feelings of betrayal if that so and so does not speak on behalf of the the the, um, marginalized group X. So I, I recognize the. Social needs in that relationship, but at the same time, and I, and I respect those the social needs. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I'm an artist, and the whole point of uh, not the whole point. I'm, so I'm showing my cards here. My sense of myself as an artist, uh, what I, what I, my ambitions as an artist is to um, transcend, to escape the. The orbit of uh, of the uh, the broadly representational, the uh, which ends up being uh, kind of the word I'm trying to avoid using is derivative, mm-hmm. right? And it's it's you're, right. if you're if you're appeasing a broad identity group, if you're you're representing a broad identity group, and you see that work as doing and you see your, your, the poem, let's say, as, as doing this work of representation, well, then I'm serving a, I'm serving a different need than, uh, than the needs of my uh, imagination. And, and I, I, I recognize there's a fine balance in there that, that every one of us, as poets and writers and artists and musicians, we have to find our own, make our own peace with that relationship, right? Because um, you know we're not writing in a vacuum. So, mm-hmm.
1: yes, yeah, it's, it's that connection that you're you're striving for. Exactly. Uh, that, yeah. that that intimate, uh, safe mm-hmm. connection that you were talking about. Well, let's take another break. When we come back, I'll have you I'll just alert you, Gregory uh Have you read uh, Problema Three or is it Problema Trace? I'm not sure. Um, uh, uh. Problema 3 on page uh, 13 Gets us back to some anxieties of being a father But also some, you know, societal uh, Mm -hmm. Anxieties that that we have Uh, We are talking with poet Gregory Pardlow And his uh, latest uh, collection is called Digest It won the 2015 Pulitzer Prize for Poetry More with Gregory Pardlow following this break
0: Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members in the Cache Valley Gardener's Market Farm-to-Table Banquet, Saturday, September 10th at 6 p.m. at the Riverwoods Conference Center, featuring locally grown foods from Cache Valley Gardener's Market vendors, prepared by Chef Robert Sanderson. Ticket information at gardenersmarket.org. This program is made possible by a grant from the Pulitzer Prize Centennial Campfires Initiative for a collaboration between UPR, Utah Humanities, the Salt Lake Tribune, and KCPW.
1: Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. I'm pleased to have my guest uh, with me uh, today, Gregory Pardlow. Uh, his latest collection uh, called Digest won the 2015 Pulitzer Prize for Poetry. Um, and uh, he has a memoir and essays uh, forthcoming. It's uh, called Air Traffic. Uh, if we have time, I want to talk about that as well. Um, and you're welcome to join this conversation at access at gmail.com. Gregory Pardlow, uh, Problema 3. What if you could, uh, if it, any setup that you want to do and then read this.
2: Absolutely. So this is actually still part of the, the series that we started uh, talking about earlier in the, in the show uh, where the through line I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the Abraham and Isaac story and um, over the course of writing this, this particular series of poems I came across uh, Kierkegaard's Fear and Trembling in which Kierkegaard is sort of meditating on the Abraham and Isaac story. Uh and he titles his sections Problemas. And so I'm uh sort of in in, in homage to Kierkegaard I, I titled the the full poems the uh, uh Problema three. So there's problemata for the smaller pieces and then problemas for for each of the full poems. So you'll you'll hear I hope the reader, your, your listeners will recognize the the Scaffolding of the Abraham and Isaac story in this poem. Problema three. The Fulton Street food town is playing Motown, and I'm surprised at how quickly my daughter picks up the tune. And and soon, the two of us, plowing rows of goods steeped in fructose under light thick as corn oil, are singing, Baby, I need your lovin', unconscious of the lyrics foreboding my happy child riding high in the shopping cart as if she's cruising the polished aisles on a tractor laden with imperishable foodstuffs, her cornball father enthusiastically prompting with spins and flourishes and the double-barrel fingers of the gunslinger's pose. But we hear it as we round the Rice and Goya aisle, that other music, the familiar exchange of anger, the war drums of parent and child, The boy wants, what, to be carried? To eat the snacks right from his mother's basket? What does it matter? He's making a scene. With no self-interest beyond the pleasure of replacing wonder with wonder, my daughter asks me to name the boy's offense. I offer to buy her ice cream. How can I admit recognizing the portrait of fear the mother's face performs? the inherited terror of nonconformity, frosted with the fear of being fought disrespected by or lacking the will to discipline one's child. How can I account for both the cultural and the intercultural? The boy's cries rising like hosannas as the mother's purse falls from her shoulder, her missed step from the ledge of one of her stilted heels, passion loosed with each displaced hairpin, his little j- jacket bunched at the collar where she has worked the marionette. Later, when I'm placing groceries on the conveyor belt, and it is clear I have forgotten the ice cream, my daughter tries her hand at this new algorithm of love, each word punctuated by her little fist. Boy, she commands, didn't I tell you?
1: <laughs> That's Problema 3, uh, Gregory Pardla from his uh, collection, Digest. Uh so so the daughter has learned this new algorithm of love. <laughs> um yeah. and it's uh, that's uh you know, like any parent has had that experience on both sides of that.
2: On both sides, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I'm thinking about that or the in the as that poem came about, um we'd had this this experience of walking through the the supermarket and seeing this happen and and you know i think earlier drafts of that poem i was uh inclined to chastise the mother you know you how could you you know be so rough with your child and of course he like said we've all seen it and and the more i thought about it I, just, I realized you know that's kind of naive to to think as a as a parent uh I could be above losing my temper in in public, you know she was my my first daughter, she was still very young at the time, obviously and and fortunately i I hadn't been tested in 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 the ways the the boy was testing his mother, and so I could very safely kind of uh, criticize but then you know being honest in the back of my head, you know I have no idea what's going on in this woman's world. I have no idea the the kinds of daily frustrations, and, and you know, the, the she came out of some situation, too, and as I'm thinking this through, I'm, you know, my, my daughter is, and, and I'm, I'm writing in my office, and my daughter is in her bedroom next door, and then it, it occurs to me that, you know, I'm not the only one thinking this through, she's thinking this through, mm-hmm. you know, and what is, it, what is it, what does she pick up, what does she learn, you know, she learns that this is an an appropriate or acceptable way of uh, of interacting mm-hmm. right and and if unchecked she or unexamined or undiscussed uh you know she could very well grow up to you know be someone who deserves to be chastised for cool. you know the way she the way she treats her, her children
1: we are are out of time we'll leave it there oh no yeah we we'll <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll leave for another time a story about uh, translating from uh, Danish to English. I just want to mention um uh, no time for discussion on this but your memoir air traffic that's coming out i understand your your father was an air traffic controller he was fired by President Reagan along with the other air traffic controllers that that changed that's the right. the arc of your family's life so we'll have to
2: not only my family but the arc of la- organized labor i think
1: yeah' So we'll look forward to that. Uh, that memoir and essays uh, forthcoming from uh, Knopf. The current collection is Digest. It's out from Four Way Books. It's the twenty fifteen uh, Pulitzer Prize winner for uh, poetry. Gregory Pardlow, Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Tom, very much.
1: And thanks for listening to Access Utah. Utah Public Radio is a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab. KCEU Price, KUSU FM, Logan, also heard at UPR.org.